Welcome to another edition of the Hawk Off the Press podcast. I'm your host, Gazette Hawkeyes reporter, John Steppy. Hope you're all having a good week here. Taking some time this week to really focus on the questions that you have for me about Iowa football right now. So thanks to all the people in our text message group who signed up who have signed up for our text message group and texted me their questions. You can join them at joinsubtext.com slash Hawkeyes. So I'll jump right into things here with these questions. First one is over under Iowa stacks allowed two and a half. And Sam put that probably spot on with what I would put as the over under for that. I had to lean toward the under just because Wisconsin's pass rush is not as good this year as it was last year. But then again, Purdue doesn't have George Karlaftis, but they sacked Petrus, I believe, three times. So I think it'll be a key factor here when you think about just how much better things have been for Spencer Petrus when he's been able to be more comfortable in the pocket which we clearly saw against Northwestern and to a large extent against Purdue as well. So that'll be a key thing to follow. And if Petrus can get things going and then Iowa is not so one-dimensional, that obviously would go a long ways. Next question about whether it's pronounced Nico Ragini or Nico Ragaini. Used to hearing Ragini, but has heard Ragaini recently from sportscasters. So if you look at the Iowa media guide, it says Regani. That's been the official pronunciation that Iowa has provided these last few years. We found out this year that the Italian pronunciation, the proper Italian pronunciation is Ragaini. It doesn't seem like Nico personally minds being called Regani all this time. So um. I don't think he would have brought it up had we not asked about it, but um, that's the reason why you've been hearing Ragaini and I've been trying to make the switch there, but trying to break that habit there. So then next question is a three part. I'll break up into three parts here. First part, what will the Hawkeyes do to slow down the Badger ground game? Certainly that's a point of emphasis whenever a team is playing Wisconsin, considering the reputation they've had. You don't need to look far back in the history book for what damage Wisconsin running backs have done to Iowa defenses, whether it's Braille and Allen last year, who really stood out as a freshman, or if you think back to 2019, Jonathan Taylor. So you look at it, it's certainly a strength for Wisconsin's offense. The encouraging sign for Iowa is what they have been doing to slow the ground game against other Big Ten teams has been working. So if you look back to, really I'll take this as far back as the beginning of October. They play Michigan. Blake Corum had a lot of success against this Iowa rush defense. And then you go to Illinois. And while Iowa's defense overall did a great job considering that they only gave up nine points. Chase Brown had some big plays. He was able to find success against this Iowa defense. So you look at it, those two games weren't great for the Iowa rush defense, but then 
If you look at what's happened since the bye week, it's been a lot better. Ohio State, obviously that game overall was not good at all for Iowa. But the rush defense was a bright spot when you look at how well they shut down Mayan Williams and Trevion Henderson. So they did that against two really proficient running backs and a very good offensive line as well. That will probably be among the better ones that Iowa has seen. You could say maybe Michigan might be better, but that would be the only one that you would probably really have in that same conversation is the Ohio State offensive line. So they did a great job with that. And then in the two weeks since against Evan Hall, certainly a talented running back at Northwestern. And then Devin Maccabee, a running back who's really emerged onto the scene for Purdue. Iowa's rush defense really did well against both those backs. Now, I would say Braylon Allen is better than Hall and Maccabee. So it'll be a challenge. I think you'd probably expect to see the game plan not be that much divergent from how they've approached other running backs. I don't think we'll see anything necessarily brand new, totally wild. This is, you know, an Iowa defense that has been consistent that you hear from opposing offensive players that you know what you're going to get, but they execute it really well. So then the next question about or next part of the question is how good is the Badger pass game? It's been inconsistent and that's certainly not anything new for Wisconsin, but you kind of see the two tails of Graham Mertz this season where you have the games that he did well. You look at it and against Northwestern, he completed 69% of his passes, five touchdowns, no interceptions. I think almost any team would take that. You look against Purdue, 62% completion rate, two, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Those are certainly some good results for Mertz. Granted, those aren't the two toughest opponents either. And then you also have the results that haven't been as great, like Maryland last week, Mertz was five of 18. So for those not wanting to do the math right now, that's a 28% completion percentage for Mertz against a Maryland defense that is not as good as Iowa's defense. So you look at it, which Graham Mertz shows up will be a big part in how this outcome goes. I wouldn't be surprised if there are some turnover opportunities for this Iowa defense and taking advantage of those will be granted. It's kind of, I can sound like a broken record saying this for every game, but taking advantage of those potential turnover opportunities will be really important. And then that's a good segue into the third part of the question. What will Iowa need to do to win? In general, I think the big thing is really limiting the self-inflicted wounds. That's been a problem when you think back to recent games, especially 2021. I'll mostly talk about that one since... That was the one where I was also Hawkeye reporter for. You look at it, Ivory Kelly Martin fumbling at the one-yard line. At Iowa's one-yard line, I should clarify there. That really shot Iowa in the foot there because then Wisconsin gets a touchdown right away. It's really a seven-point play that that cost Iowa. And then you think of the 
muffed punt by Max Cooper when he had to come in for Charlie Jones. Not an easy situation for Max Cooper to be in. And it showed, too, with the muffed punt. Wisconsin starts at the, I think it's the 18-yard line. Don't quote me on that one. And Wisconsin scored a touchdown on that drive, too. So you look at it, and you take those two touchdowns off the board. Instead of 27-7, to you could be potentially looking at 13-7. to And... Okay, then 13 to 7 is a lot more manageable. Iowa had some opportunities to claw a little bit more back in that game in the second half and didn't take advantage. But if it wasn't for those self-inflicted wounds and really just miscues, you would have seen probably a more competitive game and Iowa would have had a chance earlier, or I should say a chance later in the game as opposed to becoming 20 to zero and okay here's a big hole for Iowa's defense to dig out of then a question about how is wide receiver recruiting progressing so the one 2023 commitment so far for Iowa at wide receiver is Alex Moda from Marion and then they're going to need some more players here it's a thin position as is right now and you don't know what will happen in the transfer portal So they need to certainly, you know, both through traditional recruiting and I would say also through the transfer portal, this has to be one of the priority positions for Iowa in terms of recruiting. One person that if he commits to Iowa would be a really good get would be Jariot Bowie from um, Tampa Jesuit. Same high school as former Hawkeye and now NFL safety Dane Belton. So small world there. Somebody who's taken an official visit to Iowa. So certainly Iowa is in the mix there. That would be a really good get. Some other guys too that Iowa seems to be targeting. They're going to need to tack on though for sure. Still plenty of work to be done at that position with recruiting. And I think you'd put that as priorities one, two, and three right now for recruiting. And especially because, okay, last year, Iowa loses four wide receivers to the transfer portal. And that was before, and the fourth one being Charlie Jones. Well, now everyone has seen what Jones has been able to do when he's in a system that, maybe is a little more individual statistic driven. So it's going to be especially important because of that. And it's not an easy position for Iowa to recruit as wide receiver coach Teldon Copeland talked about to us yesterday. And here's what he said about it. As far as recruiting, it's a challenge. It really is a challenge uh, recruiting receivers here. You know, there there's a, a mantra or like this this kind of this hidden message about Iowa receivers. If you come to Iowa, all you're going to do is block. And, you know, they line up in, in 12 personnel or 22 personnel. So they only put one receiver on the field, which anybody who's really paying attention that really knows football, know that is not the case. We've been balanced offense for five, five years straight. You know, we'll see how the numbers play out for my sixth year here. But since 17 all the way up through 2021, we've been a very balanced offensive attack. And I don't I don't see that changing. You know, I, like I said before, you know, the challenges with with the numbers health wise and things like that, obviously, you know, kind of set us back a little bit. But 
as far as production, we're still here. We're still ready to produce. So um, it takes a special young type of man. I will say this, and I, and I want I want this to be heard. It takes a special type of young man to come here and play football, period, right? It takes an even more in, uh, unique individual to come play receiver at Iowa because of the demands that we're going to put on you. All of those things I just mentioned about the voices outside the building that, that's telling this telling these young men that, you know, you're only going to block and you're not going to get an opportunity and stuff like that. It takes a special type of young man to block that noise out, focus on what's truly important, right, and focus on what they can control, which is their attitude and effort. As long as we get those type of young men to continue to come in here and contribute, we'll be just fine. If we start looking outside of that and start reaching and trying to find young men that don't fit that mold, then we'll, we'll find ourselves in trouble and I'll be looking for a job. But as long as I stay guided on, on that path of finding those type of young men, we'll be just fine, right? So I just, I address it right out of the gate. Hey, look, like I talked about before, you have to be a unique young man. If you're the type of guy that's driven by stats, touches, targets, uh, highlights, that type of stuff, accolades, personal awards, this ain't the place for you. It's just not. Um, because quite frankly, you're probably not going to get the targets that that you think you should get, right? Um Either way, whether whether you're deserving of it or not, every receiver thinks that he's open every play. That's just the nature of our position. We think we're open every play. We should get the ball every play. Obviously, that's not the case, but that a good receiver, that's how he thinks, right? So if you're that kind of young man that, that is built that way, that's taught that way, that's raised that way, this probably is not the place for you. You know, we're a very tight end-centric uh, offense here for good reason. We have really gifted tight ends, being Sam Laporta, even before that, you know, before uh, Noah Fant, before TJ, before I got here, the, the list goes on, right? This is tight end you, literally for a reason. So if a young man doesn't understand that coming in, that you have to love the game of football and you have to love playing, playing the game with your uh, teammates first, first and foremost, if you can't check those two things off the list, then it's probably not going to work out. So that has been my message to individual recruits. And more importantly, quite frankly, since we're on the subject, my message to parents has been quite the same um, because if we're being honest, you know, I, I don't want to go down a negative tone, but if we're being, if I'm being completely honest with you, the bigger problem in my opinion, in my experience, especially being here at Iowa has been the parents. It's been the parents. The parents are so driven on my kid should, my kid needs this and uh, how many targets my kid gets and all this type of stuff. So the education has to start with the parents. If your individual success or the individual success of your kid is more important than the team success, this ain't the place for you. And I've told plenty of parents that. I've started that message about two years ago uh, because of certain instances that have happened uh, since I've been here at Iowa where you know things like that have come up. When, you know, we're in the middle of a game week. Uh, give you a quick story. You guys like stories, right? That's what I was told. Uh, media likes stories. So I'll give you a quick story. Big 10 uh, championship week last year. We're getting ready to play Michigan. Really good opponent, obviously. Big, big game. Uh, the first time in my career that I played, you know, coach for a Big Ten championship. So in my mind, it was a big opportunity, right? Wednesday, today, of Big Ten championship um, week, I get a call from, from two parents wanting to talk to me about why their son isn't touching the ball more and getting more opportunities. So I spend 40 minutes out of my Big Ten championship Wednesday evening talking to these parents about why their son's not getting more opportunities versus me trying to do everything I can to make sure we're successful for uh, the Big Ten championship game against Michigan. So again, you know, things like that that have happened over the years, you know, it's maturity, it's experience, all those things. Some people call it scars. You just kind of learn 
And uh, my message has been been monitored since, right? I've adjusted my message, and quite frankly, it's about uh, team success. If you're more more interested in individual success or the success of your son versus the success of Iowa football, this is not the place for you. So that first and foremost, it's about truth. It's about being honest, and um, you know, going from there, right? If if kid if that turns a kid off, you have your answer. And it's difficult when you're trying to get guys who aren't looking for the individual stats at a position where individual stats are kind of a big deal and okay. Individual stats are probably going to determine how many scouts take a look at you if you're trying to play at the next level. So it can be a tall task to ask for somebody to not not worry about their own individual success as you're trying to recruit to these 16, 17, 18 year olds in high school or in the transfer portal too, for that matter, that could be a difficult sell there. And then the next, I'm going to kind of group a couple of questions together about Keegan Johnson. Of course, the person who was a true freshman last year really stood out as a big play option for quarterback Spencer Petrus. Has been hurt for almost this entire season. Keldon Copeland talked about him as well. Here's what he had to say. Looking for big things out of Keegan. Obviously, we've been looking for him for a while. I understand, you know, I haven't been in front of you guys, um, you know, basically the whole season. But Coach gives us a brief, a briefing on, you know, what you guys have asked and, you know, the general idea of the questions that were asked in his weekly press conferences. And he's mentioned at times that, you know, Keegan's name keeps getting brought up, asked about things like that. But, you know, his process is his process. Everybody is different. So the biggest message that I have for people being the media, fans, or even people inside of our building is you can't judge one young man's situation next to another, right? His process is his process. You know, we don't know what's going on in, inside of his body or what's actually happening. I do know this, though. This young man wants to play football more than anybody else wants him to, right? So he's doing everything he can to get back on the field. And quite frankly, again, I don't, I don't want to be negative, but I'm, this, you, you call me on a good day because I'm being as honest as I can. Uh, quite frankly, you can't hold that against a young man. And I feel like there are certain people out there uh, that are trying to hold it against this young man and, and um you know, hold him to the fire because they haven't seen him this season. I know for a fact that this young man is doing everything he can to get back on the field. Hopefully, he will get back on the field this season. If not, so be it. So be it. It's the it's the way God chose it to be, and we'll look forward to what's what's going to happen in, in bowl prep. And and God willing, we get to a bowl game and we'll see what happens in bowl prep. But for now, I know he's working his butt off. He was out there on on the field today trying to get better and, and improve, and and that he's on the right track. So we'll we'll see. But other than that. Obviously, I'm not a doctor. I'm not an athletic trainer. So um, that's that's a question better suited for somebody else outside of that. So that probably addresses some of the Keegan Johnson questions. So he's clearly still with the team. I realize that there's a lot of transfer portal speculation among the fan base. And I would emphasize the word speculation there and we're probably not going to have official transfer portal decisions for a few more weeks now until we probably get into December is when we might start to hear some transfer portal decisions, whether that be at Iowa or at other schools. And you may see another wave of it after the bowl game as well. 
So it looks more likely that Iowa is going to a bowl game. It doesn't seem to be quite as much of a question mark. So I can say it a little bit more with less of doubt or uncertainty. But yeah, so that's the situation with Keegan Johnson. You know, it's clear as Copeland said that he wants to be out on the field. So, you know, some of the fan theories of, oh, does he not want to be out there? You know, there's nothing that he has to gain at this point from being out longer because he's in that window where even with the bowl game, he's going to be able to get, and even with, if Iowa improbably goes to the Big Ten championship game, he would still be able to get his four games in and take a redshirt year. Because we know he's not available for Purdue. So then you have after that, or excuse me, we know that he's not available for Wisconsin. And then after that, you have Minnesota, Nebraska are two games. And then probably a bowl game, maybe a bowl game. At this point, it's probably a bowl game. Could be that third game. And if the, again, improbable path happens where Iowa goes to Indianapolis, that would be in that four as well, while still being able to take that red shirt year. So there's nothing that Keegan has to gain by not being on the field right now, but well, thank you for all the questions. I appreciate it. Mike and I will be back with an episode of Hawk off the press after the final score, after this Iowa, Wisconsin game, of course, an important game in terms of, I was mentioning that, narrow path to a Big Ten West title, you have to beat Wisconsin to have any conversation there. And even before that game starts, it certainly helps a lot if Purdue beats Illinois. So I imagine there'll be a few Hawkeye fans who are Purdue fans for the week, considering that would leave the door open because Illinois has Michigan after that. So if they lose to Purdue and if they lose to Michigan, Iowa can control their own destiny again, which you haven't been able to say in quite a while with the Big Ten West. So, yeah, that's the circumstances there. And also you have bowl eligibility where at Iowa being five and four, this could give them that sixth win. But then again, if Iowa loses, they're going to have decent opportunities against Minnesota and especially against Nebraska to get that sixth win. But you'd probably rather not be in a situation where if Iowa loses to, if they lose to Wisconsin and then they lose to Minnesota and they're five and six, you'd rather not really take it that down to the wire with whether it's a bowl game. Now, the obvious perk with, because we could be talking potentially the bowl projections vary, but if you're talking even about a bowl that isn't as prestigious, like the guaranteed rate bowl, the big perk is you get the extra practices to really get a head start for next year. So that's why I probably talk a good chunk about the bowl eligibility, even though I don't know how many people will be excited about a, six and six or a seven and five team going to guaranteed rate ball. So anyways, until next time, we will talk Hawks later.
Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.